2: Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: On your mobile, on your wavelengths, Talk Radio and Talk TV.
4: Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We've reached the end of yet another tumultuous week. I know I say that. Quite often, but it has been another tumultuous week, I'm afraid, uh, in the world of uh, international politics. And Boris Johnson uh, is still roaming around, sort of kicking over bins and pushing people out of the way, and saying, "You'll rue the day you got rid of me." I mean, that's basically where we are. Uh, front page of the uh, Daily Mail uh, says this: A "Tory revolt over vindictive bid to banish Boris." MPs and grassroots activists left furious after spiteful Partygate report calls for the ex-Prime Minister to be effectively barred from Parliament. I mean. This psychodrama continues. And not only that, it's going to go all through the weekend because, of course, all of them will be sitting around plotting how to stab each other in the back more uh, vociferously than the last time they stabbed each other in the back. The Tory party is literally kind of deconstructing before our very eyes. And they seem to not have a clue how bad that looks to the general public. So many people uh, who listen to this show, who watch this show, telling me we'll never vote Tory again. They've let us down on immigration. They've let us down on taxes. They've let us down on net zero. They've let us down on pretty much everything that they said they were going to fix, they have made actually everything worse. And I've got some breaking news for you this morning as well. which is an extraordinary story uh, when you think of what the police have been up to lately. Um, all sorts of uh, things going on in the Metropolitan Police. But how about this? Michael Lockwood, the former Director General of the Independent Office for Police Conduct, that's the big watchdog organisation, has been charged with six counts of indecent assault and three offences of rape against a girl under the age of 16. I mean, what is wrong with these people? Uh, The Crown Prosecution Service has released that. So Michael Lockwood, who was basically the police watchdog for the uh, uh, Director General of the Independent Office for Police Conduct has been charged with six counts of indecent assault and three offenses of rape against a girl under the age of 16. I mean, it beggars belief. Obviously, um, that's a breaking story. We'll bring you news of that and update you on it as of when we can. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Home Office and how it is no longer stone unfit for purpose, that it's ridiculous. Richard Tice is here. Uh, he's going to talk us through that. We're going to go and visit Harry and Meghan over in Montecito because uh, do you remember when they said the other week uh, they're not going to do any more podcasts because they haven't got anything left to say. Uh, well, it turns out that was a couple of weeks early uh, because Spotify just said they're not renewing uh, their subscription. Uh, they're not renewing anything to do with a podcast for Harry and Meghan, I'm afraid, because it hasn't quite done what they thought it would do. Uh, and it doesn't sound like they've made much money from it either. In fact, I probably made more money from my podcast than they've made from theirs. But there we are. That's good. I'm good at it. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand is the number. Uh, we'll be talking about a great many things, of course. Also, the impending parole release of Colin Pitchfork, uh, the double murderer and rapist who raped two 15-year-old girls. Uh, he came out just about 18 months ago and had to go back into prison. He was released on parole, had to go back into prison because basically uh, he'd been found hanging around talking to young girls and hanging around schools. Now they're thinking of letting him out again. I mean, what is going on in this day and age? 0344 is the number. This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham. Let's get it on. Welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. As I say, it is Friday. It is rather nice uh, out there. It's quite warm. The traffic, by the way, coming into uh, work today. I almost didn't get here, Richard. Very good morning to you.
5: <laughs> I'm uh, about to take over your so show. So good so morning. The,
4: yeah, well, I, I knew I'd been safe as I thought, <laughs> if I don't get here in time, you can just, you can just start on your own. I mean, um, it, it's, it's a bright and cheery day out there. Yeah. And I suspect
1: the, uh, the temperature is not quite... Uh, quite like the uh, the warm or hot temperature mm. in uh, the
4: headquarters of Conservative Party come Conservative Command. because can you imagine Conservative Party's central office
1: is a very odd place to be at the moment? Well, I suspect it's a pretty terrifying place to be because you don't know who's, frankly, uh, attacking and stabbing each other yeah. in the back. It's just... Uh, I mean, there's complete civil war mm. has descended upon the Conservative Party. Right. And, yeah, this psychodrama uh, is continuing to play out. And... I think the real thing is, as, as people have been calling in and, and people talking about, actually, could you focus on sorting out the challenges the of the country? country. Yeah. Because we've never been in such dire straits. Mm. In, wherever you look, yeah. the country is broken. It doesn't work. It needs massive, massive uh, fixing. And all they're talking about is whether or not you can or can't complain about what what some committee has written right. about some... Individual and, it MP. and it doesn't
4: stop there because on Monday they're going to reconvene and have a vote on whether Boris Johnson should be banned from the parliamentary stage. I mean, apparently, apparently they've they've sort of allocated hours and hours of parliamentary time to
1: debate this. Frankly, I don't think anybody wants parliamentary time no. wasted on this nonsense.
4: I'll tell you what I'd like parliamentary time spent on. I'd like parliamentary time spent on when are they going to get our cost of living down? When are they going to get inflation under control? Correct. When are they going to do something proper to stop the illegal migrants coming here by the hundreds every single day? A- absolutely right. And uh, that just seems to be uh, sort of second or
1: third fiddle compared to this mm. uh, this drama. Of uh, and The real reality here is that the establishment and the Remainers... They are in the ascendancy and they are trying to basically uh, diss and remove anybody uh, who gets in their way Mm. who is involved in Brexit. And it's pretty brutal. You heard just on Jeremy Carl's show, Lord Heseltine, gloating over this.
4: He loves it. He He absolutely thinks because he thinks that the demise of Boris Johnson is the demise of Brexit,
1: doesn't he? But what we're actually facing, if we're not very, very careful in Parliament, is the demise of free speech Mm. because this Parliamentary Standards Committee. Forget its its report and everything. It's actually saying to all of the MPs, don't you dare, uh, and I'll read it out to you because it's quite shocking. They're actually saying that they will take action against any MPs engaging in formal or informal attack or undermining of its work. I mean, is this a, fr- a free country with free speech or not? Yeah. If MPs disagree with the conclusions... Of any report, right. by any committee, mm. they should absolutely have the right to say so, yeah. for heaven's sake. And
4: it's certainly not a legal organisation, this Committee of Privileges. It's been set up by the MPs to police the MPs. And I get the point that you're supposed to then um, go along with whatever decision they may make. But it's not binding. It's not a legal decision. And, uh, and quite frankly, the idea that they they say that, that Boris Johnson should have a 90-day ban because he was rude about them is nonsensical, isn't it? Uh, and, and the hypocrisy...
1: Leaving aside, you know, Boris's multiple failings and multiple mistakes—we yeah. all know that, we all accept that. Whatever side of this debate you're on, the hypocrisy of having a chair of that committee who basically said that Boris was guilty before they even started no. this investigation. Yeah. But as bad or worse, one of the seven members of this committee turned out to be actually engaging in a proper birthday party yeah. with lots of booze. Mm. Uh, within the parliamentary estate during one of the lockdowns, you, you couldn't make this stuff. And up. as far as I know, he still hasn't denied that that was the case, has he? Because he can't, right. because it's clearly true. Mm. If it wasn't true, he would have denied it. His name is Bernard Jenkins. yes. And so, I, I just think that it, this this whole thing, uh, this is a, a, a it's a it's a party, the Conservative Party, that is just it, it's in the stage of of some form of collapse, right. meltdown. It's just just sort of disappearing before our eyes mm. and it's actually very very serious whatever whichever way you vote it's very serious because what it does is lead to a complete erosion of trust in democracy yeah. in what people say are they telling the truth or not and therefore is it worth bothering in the future or actually is the whole thing a stitch up?
4: and are you one of those who thinks that we're beginning to see if not the end of the conservative party as we know it Um, the end of the the parliamentary powerhouse that is the Conservative Party, because it will inevitably now surely have to split, won't it, into something else? Well,
1: uh, let's see. But I am obviously a massive fan of proportional representation, where actually there's no such thing as a wasted vote, Mm. where you'll get much higher turnout, much greater engagement. And guess what? Competition is a good thing. If you've got new parties with new people, Mm. with good ideas, that are the right way to run the country then actually they can rise to the top. And if that means that other parties, such as the Conservative Party's wane and wither on the vine due to their own
4: hopeless incompetence... Well, so be it. That's called a democracy. Yeah. That's how it's supposed to work. Let me bring you this uh, additional point for, for a wrinkle. This is from Claire Fox last night. I spotted this on, uh, on Twitter. She says, regardless about where you stand on Boris and misleading Parliament, there is something gnawing at me. Why is there no outrage at a whole range of COVID-related misleading statements at the time? Remember when we all discovered that vaccines helped individuals but didn't prevent transmission? Yet despite knowing facts on transmission, politicians on all sides supported sacking care home staff who refused to have vaccines... And And jab or job enthusiasts misled the public by claiming it would protect others. So many examples made up of facts. Ray, rule of six, safe numbers at funerals, all the rest of it. And And lots of examples where non-COVID harms associated with lockdown, the impact on children were denied. Those raising issues were maligned, misleadingly branded as anti-science or worse. You know, there was an awful lot of misinformation. She's right. And actually, she's
1: used that critical word that Boris has been found guilty of, of misleading Parliament. The truth is... Many dozens of ministers and members of Parliament throughout the whole Covid lockdown crisis misled Parliament, misled the British public by talking utter garbage, tripe and nonsense about the benefits of lockdown, about the benefits of masks. And but the fact that the vaccines would stop and try and tried.
4: let's not forget to shut down anybody who would differ from that. And let's not forget Sir Keir Star was rolling in all of this, who continually didn't want lockdowns to be lifted, That's who right. continually wanted schools to be kept closed because the unions told him to say that and who continually pressed the prime minister and the government to have even harder lockdowns and punish people even more. Correct. And
1: so I think it is really important to put this in context. The reality is, that everybody was misled by the nonsense that was spouted by the government and the opposition Mm. throughout much of the COVID crisis. But having taken all of that, frankly, the whole thing was a horror show. And we actually do need to focus on the future and to try and say, do you know what, with the right people running this country, Mm. governing this country, we can dig ourselves out of this mess and have some hope and have some vision and some optimism going forward. It's going to take a lot of hard work and it is going to take change. We've got some more breaking news
4: coming in. Uh, It's one of those weeks. One of those mornings. Uh, You'll like this one. Uh, Kent and Sussex hosepipe ban announced from the 26th of June. A hosepipe and sprinkler ban is being imposed on people in Kent and Sussex. South East Water said it had no choice after demand for drinking water had reached record levels in June, similar to last year's drought. Some households in Kent and Sussex have been without water since Monday due to supply issues. Earlier this week, the water company urged people to only use water for essential purposes. It will impose the ban on hosepipes from the 26th you? because we've all been naughty children mm. and we're all drinking a little bit more water because we've been told to because
5: drink the, more water,
1: drink more water. Yeah. It's, it's good for us you can't make it up how can that lead to a shortage of water <laughs> for a water company I know. on an island well, for heaven's sake
4: let's think about water companies and you've been, been done some great work on these water companies which are run by a whole cabal of, of foreign companies and all the rest That's of it, right. right and chinese and, investors and, and, absolutely and, all yeah. that. and well, I, had a, I had a guy actually got in touch with me on monday from tunbridge wells he said i've got no water I haven't had water for, like, the whole weekend because of some supply issue. How's there a supply issue? uh, uh, On the one hand, you
1: want to laugh, but you actually, much more seriously, you want to cry Mm. in despair at how we can be in this situation where one of the most fundamental basic utilities that we need, want and require, um, we're being told to restrict the supply of. I tell you, this is all to do with the garbage, of net zero. It's all down to this stuff. The amount of time that is wasted, money that is blown and, Mm. and thrown away on this nonsense. Just focus on delivering some key issues like enough water, please. Water that would cannabis.
4: be nice, wouldn't it? Because, of course, when they haven't got enough water, they tell you not to use it. When they've got too much water, they pump sewage into the sea yeah. and into the river. <laughs> I mean, is there anything they can actually do regarding There's water? There's about two weeks of the year when they've got the ba- sort of the yeah. right balance yeah. between it. This is
1: just it really absolutely is. unbelievable. It's, it's incredible.
4: Um, now, let's get on to your favourite subject just before we break, and then we'll carry it over. But the Home Office is in trouble this morning.
1: Uh, the Home Office, well, yes, they absolutely are, because they come out, there's been a national audit report into the performance, or should I say, woeful lack of performance ah. of the Home Office. The, um, the good news is that uh, they have indeed, as they promised, increased the number of caseworkers uh, from, uh, they've increased it up to 1,350. But it turns out when you read the depths of the report, right. that only 62 uh, percent sorry, only 50% of them are actually able to make decisions. Mm. Only one-tenth of them, one in 10, are actually properly trained, and most you of uh, many of them, uh, they are so they're not able to make decisions or their absence. So, and most of them are working from home. Presumably. Most of them are working from home, but they are making progress. They have increased their productivity rate, and wait for it, they are now able to deal with a stunning, amazing, two cases per week. Well that's, up, well, that's gone up, hasn't it? It, it has only, gone up. It was, it was only so one before. Yeah, if, if you're the optimist, you'll say that's 100% improvement. Yeah. I want to deal with two cases every quarter of an hour, for yeah. heaven's sake. Not exactly. per
4: week. Yeah, here's how you do it. Nope. 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 <laughs> nope. Tea break. Nope. 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 <laughs> nope. Nope. I mean, it's not that difficult, is it?
1: <laughs> and apparently, it takes six months to train people to say no.
4: Yeah. Well, but we've listen, just learned it in, yeah. about, in about five I mean, seconds. You know, we could literally go down the home office after the show and get the backlog sorted by six o'clock. Well, and so the, it's the, you know. I mean,
1: the, I despair, but we sort of want to try and, and retain some optimism. But it's really hard. Uh, they've now also accepted in this report that they are not going to meet their target of getting rid of you, the hotel's use, which they were hoping yeah. to do by the end of 2023. Uh, and it, because it turns out now that uh, they were targeting to to get rid of um, 500 hotel beds a week uh, by the end of last October. Right. They're achieving the grand total of one-tenth of that, 48 beds per week. I mean, what's the point of setting a target if you pretty much know you can't hit it? There's no point in doing it, is there? Well, no, I want to set ambitious targets that you then hit. Yeah, And actually, you pay people for outperformance. Give someone a bonus if they get more uh, hotel beds to stop being used, or if actually uh, they do a proper number of right. cases per week. Haven't but we just found, found out this in week that the,
4: the, the, the whole business of illegal migration has cost the country something like £3.6 billion now?
1: Actually, I've been looking into the numbers, and I'm still looking at it. Are we talking on the show on Sunday? It's way, way more than that. Yeah. It's north of 7 or £8 billion a year right. in 2023 wow. is where it's going to end up. Wow. It's absolutely off the scale and that what they're ridiculous. deliberately trying to do is they're deliberately trying to confuse and to conflate various numbers in order to distract from the truth i mean it's just shocking
4: incredible absolutely amazing richard tice will be back with more numbers more details more crunching uh, coming up after this at talk tv online on dab plus talk radio and talk tv Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV with you all the way through until 1 o'clock. Don't forget Plank of the Week coming up tonight at 7pm. Uh, we'll bring you all of that. And we'll be talking to Rupert Bell coming up shortly as well about Harry and Meghan, uh, who are not having their podcast um, sort of arrangement, shall we say, with Spotify re, uh, reunited. Uh, they're not going to do a second series, unfortunately. Apparently, it wasn't popular enough. Uh, Richard Tice is here, uh, very much more popular than Harry and Meghan, I would imagine. Um, let's talk about uh, the economy, because it is, as they say, the economy, stupid. Bill Clinton famously said, that. And it is all about the economy, because the happier people are, uh, the better the economy is. And the better the economy is, the happier the people are. So, you know, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? Well, yes, in theory. But also, uh, we were told when Liz Truss was ousted
1: uh, from office last October, we were told that was because of that they had sort of crashed the economy. But it's pretty extraordinary that now that uh, Rishi Sunak and Jeremy Hunt, supposedly Mm. the grown-ups in the room, are in charge, all seems to become... Um, but the establishment doesn't seem to be bleating and whining about the fact that uh, the, uh, the the two year uh, sort of uh, guilt rates, uh, the, the rates in the market for the interest rates, mm. which then determines mortgage rates, is now higher than mm. when Truss and kwateng were in charge. Funny, no that. One seems, funny that, no one seems to be. Uh, complaining and, and screaming for Sunak to be ousted right. because he's crashed the economy. But it's
4: another shibboleth, isn't it? It's another one of these things that the Ramonas say all the time. Well, she cost the economy £30 billion. Untrue. That didn't actually happen. It, it, the whole thing is, it, is a complete nonsense.
1: And what really troubles me is that uh, even Jeremy Hunt, just in the last few days, has said interest rates have got to go higher to get on top of inflation. Well, we've had about 10 interest rate yes. rises to 4.5%. We're higher than in uh, in Europe with the ECB's interest rate. And yet we've also got higher inflation. So quite clearly, uh, there are many other factors at play. There's what they call supply cost of the cost of goods and energy coming into the country. Those costs are going up. And just raising interest rates, it's a very blunt lever Mm. that's going to force a huge amount of pain on those who've got mortgages, whose mortgages are expiring. And I think it's going to make very little difference on inflation. Mm. And it's one of the course, And it's going to push
4: more and more people out of the house that they're in, presumably, because they'll have to sell it. Because this, this is what happened in the 80s. People found that they couldn't pay their mortgage, and they had to sell it. And the housing market is already in depression, isn't it? Uh, that's right. The housing market is not doing well at all. Um, but here's the thing.
1: This is one of Sunak's five key pledges to get the rate of inflation down the quickest, most certain way of doing that is to reduce taxes on consumer goods, like fuel duty and such like, uh, duty on uh, energy bills and things, and uh, reducing VAT. That will mathematically, automatically, without question, Mm. reduce inflation. That's one of his key targets. Why doesn't he do that and make the economy grow faster instead of flatlining like it is? Instead, he's actually deliberately willing pain on ordinary members of uh, the country, yeah. ordinary citizens up and down the country. And it's driving me mad because the solution
4: is there to do, and he won't do it. No, he won't do it. And meanwhile, the cost of everything is going up. Everything you go to buy that you say you haven't bought for a while, the cost has rocketed for some reason, and nobody seems to care. Well, I, I, actually, I think we do care. Uh, people absolutely feel
1: it in their pockets. Yeah. And you know, there, there are some elements of profiteering, and businesses definitely Uh, taking advantage where they can. But equally, the supermarkets and food business is actually very, very competitive. But if you know the cost of living is a crisis, you know you've got to get inflation down, which they keep banging on about, reduce taxes, go for growth, Mm. get the economy growing. Because what we're suffering at the moment, we've got inflation not because of surplus of excess demand, because we've all, all got far too much money in our pockets that we're blowing on expensive holidays and hospitality and restaurants and things. The truth is, everybody is struggling. Yeah. So it can't be inflation by excess demand. They've got the wrong answer. They're completely looking at it the wrong way around. In my view, frankly, uh, the the uh, the head of the Bank of England, the governor of the Bank of England, Andrew Bailey, he's woefully he's incompetent, he, he should sh- be fired. He should go, yeah. Of course Definitely. he should go.
4: He should have gone about two years ago. Uh, I'm reminded by somebody called Saints, who sent in a very nice little uh, meme of somebody standing in a rainstorm. Did we not have one of the worst months of rain for a very long time, for decades? Just a couple of months ago. I think he's right. I think it was either May or April we had more rain than we'd had since about the 1970s or something.
1: Absolutely right. It felt like winter had been well, extended. All gone? Well, I mean, it felt like there was no spring at all. <laughs> so we had all this rain and it seems to have disappeared. It Absolutely. just sort of flushed it out into the sea along with a little bit of... Uh, you We've know, lost all of it.
4: Well, because, because due to, thanks to net zero, we're not allowed to build any reservoirs anymore because apparently that's bad for the environment. How's a reservoir bad for the environment? It, it is incredible. I think we haven't built
1: a reservoir for something mm. like 50 years. Yeah. I mean, there's, this extraordinary lack of infrastructure planning in this country, despite knowing that the population has been increasing yeah. with or without the consent of the people, frankly, right. without the consent without, of the people, yeah. um, again, is just an utter bungling
4: incompetence mm. from a useless civil service that is simply not up to the job. Not fit for purpose. George from Dartford says, uh, Mike, uh, Michael Hesseltine is a staunch remainer. He says Nigel Farage said Brexit had failed. He didn't add that he said it was because of the blob in action and obstruction. Heseltine also said it could never work. He still saw he never became Tory leader, unlike Boris. What a plank! Why not? With the right people and determinations to, to succeed, it can be done. We mustn't give up. And I think that's a point well made um, at the end of our conversation. You know, it is all about some people who want to see Brexit reversed. It's all about people who want to somehow rejoin the EU in one way, shape or form. And, and this is just a distraction, I think.
1: Well, let me be absolutely clear. Uh, those who want Brexit reversed, they will fail. Because those of us who advocated Brexit, who know it's the right opportunity to the country, we will fight, we will battle and we will make sure that ultimately the the huge opportunity that still remains of Brexit was the right decision, yeah. that it will prevail and we will see the benefits. It's just going to take longer because of the incompetence of the establishment, uh, the, the, the the sort of deliberate obstruction of the establishment. Yeah. And the woeful incompetence of this Conservative government.
4: It feels like a sort of analogy is coming on. Uh, I think it's like me trying to get to work. Sadiq Khan's <laughs> constantly trying to stop me getting here uh, in order to, um, to not tell the truth about what he's doing and what people like him are doing, but I'm never going to be stopped. Absolutely. Nevertheless, regardless, you got here.
1: By I hook or by quote, you did. got here. <laughs> uh, and on Sunday, what can we look forward on to? On Sunday, we are going to be, uh, we're absolutely going to be looking at lawless Britain. I mean, what is going on? The tragedy this mm. week just are so horrific in every single sense of the word, but it permeates throughout Britain. Mm. You know, the antisocial behaviour, this sort of acceptance, well, it's what people do Mm. these days. I don't think it is. I think we've got a completely lawless nation. We mustn't give up. We can turn it round. It's been turned round in other countries, so I'm going to be focusing on that Obviously, uh, focusing on on net zero. I keep banging on about that, the economy. I might try and have a three-hour Boris-free zone. Good idea. see if we can do it.
4: Good idea. I don't think you'll be able to. Um, (laughs) Richard Tice, back on Sunday, 10 a.m. I'll be back uh, very shortly after this with Rupert Bell.
1: Nationwide, by your side, talk radio and talk TV.
4: Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It's the place to be uh, for the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, because I can tell you this, you don't hear the kind of things that we say anywhere else. It's as simple as that. We will take your calls. Uh, How about this? Boris Johnson, I can't understand how some people can trust someone who lied and lied and lied until kingdom come, says Anon. He makes us all look like a mug. Perhaps some people have a different moral value, but how many people would trust a lying partner, spouse or friend? Yeah, well, that's one point of view, Mr. Anon. But at the end of the day, um, as many people have said, politicians are an interesting breed of people. They're not always uh, as trustworthy as perhaps you would want a partner to be or perhaps as you want a business partner to be. Um, But that doesn't necessarily rule out the fact that they can be the stewards of the economy. You can give them the power to do what it is that you want them to do. But I think in the end, you have to trust them to do it. And I think what we've seen in the last few days has been a complete excoriation of Boris Johnson. Um, People out there who don't like him trying to basically kill him off in the same way they're trying to do to Donald Trump. They're basically trying to say this man should never, ever hold high office again. This man should never, ever be able to walk back into our democracy because he's finished, because he's so tainted uh, by what he has done. And I just think that's not fair because I think there is only one court of public opinion that judges people in the way uh, of whether they should be in power or not. And that is the electorate. When you have an election, the people choose the person they want to vote for. It's that simple. Just a quick one, uh, says James. I can't remember how long Tony Blair was suspended for after lying to Parliament pre the Iraq invasion, asking for a friend. (laughs) Yeah, I can help you out with that one there, James. He wasn't, which is a bit bizarre, isn't it? And also, what about Claire Fox's point about all the misleading statements that were made during the COVID debacle by many many ministers and by some members of the opposition an awful lot of the things that were said were misleading because they weren't true an awful lot of the things that many politicians say are not true are they all suspended all the time no they're not let's talk to Rupert Bell because I've got some bad news for those of you who are big fans of Harry and Meghan I'm afraid uh, the Spotify podcast has been dropped after just one series Rupert will tell us why Rupert very good morning to you
2: Uh, Good morning, Mike. I knew this would be meat and drink to you. Listen,
4: you know, I don't wish to in any way, um, you know, gloat over um, the failure of a podcast uh, to make a breakthrough into society because I do have a podcast of my own, which does rather well. Um, But it looks like uh, Netflix have seen the light, as we said they would.
2: Well, Spotify have seen the light. um, And uh, because obviously they signed this multimillion pound deal. Well, I think Netflix will be next. Well, uh, there is a possibility. Can't, uh, clearly, there are issues going on there because Netflix have got financial problems. And obviously, this was a high profile deal for them after their six part series. Where are they going to go next? But in terms of Spotify, this is after this uh, the podcast series, which could have been good. And the reason I say it could have been good, her guess this wasn't bad. But trouble is, she made it all about herself. Now, To get Serena Williams as your opening gamut, and I'm a tennis fan, uh, she could have basically got the interview, of all interviews, with Serena Williams, Mm. just talking about her career, her life from the get-go, about how hard it was, striving, and and just talking about some of her great matches, just her life, which I think would have broadened the the reach, rather than the ending up, becoming a little bit sort of self-indulgent, as a lot of them were. And... Podcasts, as we know, is a very competitive industry. Every company thinks, oh, we must do a podcast. We This is the new thing. Right. Well, it's not that easy to break through and find an audience. And that, yes, they had the pulling power in terms of the name. But if the content isn't up to good and can actually reach out to a wider and engaging the audience, and if it's just a sort of bit of a, a sort of internal sort of pat on the back, then the the public aren't going to buy it. And that was my perception of it. I'm sure there was people, and I know there were people who I'm sure enjoyed it, but it's got to have a wider reach. And the problem for them also, Mike, is what are they going to do next? Mm. Uh, How do they make another interesting series in their minds that actually will engage the public after what has been a difficult few months for them in terms of, People getting slightly bored with their shtick.
4: Well, I can help you with uh, what's going to come next because the Wall Street Journal have quoted an Archie Wells spokeswoman as saying that Megan was, in their words, continuing to develop more content for the archetype's audience on another
2: platform. Well, yes, but you've got to develop something that is going to... Maybe Talk
4: Sport could put one out for her.
2: (laughs) Well, maybe they could, but (laughs) she's got to put something out that actually we want. And we know how hard it is to... um, make a podcast that is interesting. Yes, you can say it's something Meghan Markle's doing. Look, Sarah Ferguson's just done one and I listened to that and you go, well, it might have been interesting, but again, it didn't it may seem to be just a bit insular. Right. And it's very hard to come up with something that is engaging and you know you know it is difficult. And that's what they've got. You can't just say I'm Harry, Harry and Meghan, yes, I can put anything out and people will buy into it. That doesn't work for them anymore. And particularly from a commercial background, the the Spotify, Netflix, they will want to see a return on the investment. And Spotify got themselves into a bit of a pickle by doing all these high profile celebrity Mm. deals. And then they found themselves a bit short of cash because the audience and the advertising revenue didn't match the, the level of expectation of their, their chief executive.
4: Well, exactly right. Because according to a piece I'm reading here, the contract was estimated to be worth about $25 million. Now, I don't know whether that's true. It seems like an awfully large amount of money to pay somebody for a first series of a podcast you don't know is going to work. So I wonder whether those figures have been a bit massaged, to be honest. But certainly the suggestion is that they haven't made any money. Uh,
2: I don't think they would have done. And, yeah, I think... Those figures may not be too far off the point because he did go. They did go for some big deals thinking that they could. uh, And and the chief executive admitted uh, he got a bit carried away with some of the deals that he made.
5: Yeah. So at the end
2: of the day,
4: two million dollars per podcast. You know, I mean, call me old fashioned, but that does seem a bit of an expensive price to pay.
2: Yeah. And it, it wouldn't. And of course, she said that she was working all night sort of being creative. Well, Basically, if you're just interviewing someone, the research is you do some research on your subject. And my idea is and what should be important if she was the host. Yes, she is the name to draw them in. But what she should have been seeing is right. How do I get the best out of my guests? Mm. It's not about me. It's about the guest. Isn't that the art of being a good interviewer in a sense well, that I mean, you this, want is exactly what, subject-
4: this is exactly what I'm doing now, Rupert. I'm getting the best out of you and I'm letting you speak, you know, instead of interrupting you all the time, which is what she would do because, I mean, she's the archetype, if you'll pardon the pun, of the person who says anyway, that's enough about me. What do you think of me?
2: Uh, there is an element of that. <laughs> uh, and there was an element of that in, in the podcast. <laughs> Look, there would have been people who want to hear. Now, where does she go from here? Maybe she's going to be going back to doing the influencer stuff that she was doing before she met Harry mm. uh, and was very successful. And that's not, you know, she got lots of hits and views. So she's a commercial proposition as far as that is concerned. So there will be scope and I'm sure her new agency are looking to leverage her in any which way they can. But this clearly is a setback for them. The Netflix one is interesting. What will they do with the Invictus series? When will that come out? Because that actually, is something that I think is interesting, but it is a, is it mass market stuff? Yes,
4: we all... I was going to ask, do you remember a couple of weeks ago, or slightly less perhaps, The Sun put on their front page that that basically Harry and Meghan were going to stop all of their sort of Netflix deals, their (laughs) Spotify deals, they weren't going to write any more books, and the word was that basically they'd they'd run out of things to say. They didn't think they had anything else they could say. But I wonder how much of that was a kind of uh, getting out ahead of this decision because it was supposedly a joint decision that was taken uh, between Spotify and uh, Harry and Meghan. But in fact, I wonder whether they wanted to get out in front and say, oh, we're not going to do it anymore before they got fired.
2: Uh, I think there's an element where what else have they got to say? Hmm. Uh, Or certainly Harry, because we haven't (coughs) clearly the Netflix documentary was their story. She said, you want to hear the story from us. Where do they go now? Because I think there has been basically Harry and Meghan fatigue mm. in terms of their, you know, their story. And when, you know, just as we all know, there's people have got far more difficult things to worry about, probably just actually worrying about what they're going to eat tomorrow, yeah. let alone, you know, someone who's living in a highly um, expensive area of, um, of, of California mm. uh, and without any real troubles in the world. So this is the interesting thing. They now say they're going to make help create new programming films and and produce product project. But that, too, is difficult. Look at all the other, you know, Netflix have been cancelling series, left, right, and drama series, left, right and centre. It's not easy to come up with con- content that actually um, is is interesting. It's all right. Just because you're Harry and Meghan doesn't mean you're suddenly no. going to make a good but program also, it's as just, this podcast. It's,
4: it's one of those things, Rupert, as well. I speak to more and more people who are sort of, you know, shall we say, reassessing their household expenses. And one of the first things that they're losing is a subscription to something like Netflix or a subscription to some podcast on Spotify because those things can be, can be you know, done away with and you don't really, your life doesn't really change.
2: No, and if you think about it, you know, for everyone, you, you can have a skyscription, you Netflix, Disney, you name it, you can go on then. You might have to be subscribing to something else. Before yeah. you know it, you've racked up a huge monthly subscription bill and actually think, well, how much time do I actually spend watching their content? And yeah. I, you know, I, I, and I think actually I, I'm saying that that's a personal feeling, right. you know, I, um, when do I, you know, I obviously I watch a bit of sports. So yes, I get all that and, uh, watch a few other things, but actually, having the time and you think in the end of the day, do I need to spend that money? Mm. But of course, a lot of people see that as their entertainment. It's probably cheaper than going out and that's the way they want to live. But for Harry and Meghan, they have to find a way to engage and make themselves feel relevant. And at the moment, mm.
4: They're not. Well, the good news for everybody out there who's missing a podcast is that the Independent Republic of Mike Graham daily podcast is out. Um, and not only that, every single day, uh, you get a bonus half hour with Peter Hitchens on a Monday, a bonus half hour with Rod Little on a Thursday. And guess how much it costs? Nothing.
2: It's free. Well, Mike, you're such a generous individual. But We're, still, sure... we're still in
4: negotiations about how much I'm getting paid for it.
2: Oh, I knew there was a catch somewhere, but I never knew, you know, uh, you know, that, there will always be a little, <laughs> little negotiation going on, but I'm I'm so pleased that your pro- podcast is doing well. But it is proving you. over nine, it, million,
4: it, uh, 9 million downloads now.
2: Well, Mike, Mike, uh, how, how can you cope? Listen, uh,
4: I can uh, offer my services to Harry and Meghan and show them how to do it if you like.
2: Well, I, I think what they need to do is actually not make it about themselves and actually want to say, right, let's find yeah. out about the people we're talking about, and actually that might be more engaging mm. because. You know, if they're interested in other people other than themselves, then that just might be a way of them thinking, right, This is we can draw people back to supporting us because mm. it's not about us anymore.
4: Exactly. Any thoughts about the ashes that gets underway at Edgbaston today?
2: Um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to not, if you don't mind, I may just be distracted by the ashes today rather than another two and a quarter hours of your programme. That's fine. Um, I, you can I'm just leave the for-
4: ashes on without the sound. It's fine.
2: Uh, well, you know, I will be looking forward to the Ashes series. I've also been keeping an eye on the US Open, and mm. I've got Royal Ascot next week, so um, at the moment. And, and I sometime I've got to go and mow my lawn. So life's a bit hectic, but I haven't oh. got time to listen my to a Meghan bleeds. and Harry podcast.
4: My heart bleeds for you. Well, at least you're not as bad as Prince Andrew. He doesn't want to go out of the house in case he gets locked out. I mean, I presume your domestic situation isn't quite as bad as that.
2: Uh, well... Uh, no, it's not. It's, it's happened I think before, am not right. it? All right. Good <laughs> to
4: see you. Have a great weekend, Rupert. Thank you very much indeed. Rupert Bell, the Ashes gets underway today, uh, of course, uh, up in Edgbaston, uh, England versus Australia. The 73rd edition of the competition uh, will run for most of the summer. Uh, talk Sport, of course, will have it for you uh, everywhere you look and everywhere you go. Uh, this is, uh, however, Talk TV. Coming up, uh, we'll take some of your calls. Uh, we're going to talk some more about Harry and Meghan. And, of course... We've got Alex Phillips on the migrant crisis coming up after a Fast look. talk.
2: Street talk. Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid talk. Hot talk. The independent republic of Mike Graham. On your
1: mobile. On your wavelength. Talk radio and talk TV.
4: Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic. i Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. All sorts of things going on this morning. It's Friday. Uh, the weekend has begun. The ashes are getting underway. Uh, we've got the US Open going on. Uh, people are getting prepared and ready for Wimbledon. Um, it really is quite an extraordinary, extraordinary summer uh, that we're going to have. Uh, and you know what else is going to happen? There's going to be loads and loads of people coming over uh, on small boats, which actually aren't so small, uh, from Calais, uh, from northern France, because they can. Uh, they'll be arriving here uh, in their hundreds. We've seen something like 1,200 In the last three days alone, there's talk now that it could be as many as 87,000 more people coming on small boats over the course of the year, because despite what Rishi Sunak said, uh, that we were down this year on 20 percent or so, the truth of the matter is, actually, that's not the case, because I've got some statistics which are supplied to me by the one and only Jamie Jenkins, our favourite statistician, of course, and he basically said to me uh, that it now looks as though uh, the claims that Rishi Sunak made were, in fact, incorrect. What his tweet doesn't say, says Jamie, is that the first 13 days of June in 2023 so far, the numbers have actually doubled from the same period in 2022. So... Forget about what Rishi Sunak told you the other week. The true figure in June looks like it's going to be double what it was in 2022. And since his speech in Dover, another 1,452 people have arrived. That doesn't count today. So it'll probably be about 3,000 by the end of the weekend. Absolutely extraordinary stuff. Now, Alex Phillips is a former Brexit Party MEP. She's also now uh, with Reform. Uh, But before we talk to Alex about migration and a bunch of other issues as well, have a look at this because tonight she's on Plank of the Week. Have a look at what they're doing now.
3: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter.
4: They're calling this drum and bass slow cycling. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that doesn't tell you what's wrong with Britain. You know, and they're the all thing. white. You know, <laughs> I mean, they're not a very diverse group of people. <laughs> are they? just
6: the thing about it. You know, I remember those heady years in the middle of Brexit when you had all the loons outside yeah. college green pulling my hair and spitting on me. They're it's mentally absolutely... ill, these people.
4: Yeah, but yeah, the it's, like, yeah, oh, yeah. it's gonna be. Maybe this should be the new plank of the week theme. Yes. Oh, yeah. And actually, because of I like the st- tune, yeah. I'm now going to attract my <laughs> nomination
2: just upon another up yeah. nomination. The only on sound, the sound I want to hear is, is so the happy. sound of the
4: prison door. Plague <laughs> <sadly. laughs> <laughs> of the Week tonight from 7pm, followed by Nadine Dorries, by the way, uh, with a super show. We're uh, giving her verdicts on this privileges committee uh, that has been so uh, lambasting Boris Johnson over the past several days. Alex, a very good morning to you. Welcome.
6: Hello, good morning.
4: I'd forgotten about that little tune. It's rather good, isn't it? it,
6: As soon as I watch that clip, it's back in my head. It's (laughs) like a screensaver (laughs) for my brain.
4: Yes, exactly right. Well, seven o'clock tonight, you'll be able to see the whole show. So it'll be good. I'm looking forward to it. I was just reading out there some true statistics, statistics from Jamie Jenkins, our favourite statistician, who says basically in the first 13 days of June up until just a couple of days ago, there's double the number of migrants arriving on the shores of this country uh, than there were in 2022. So, so Rishi Sunak's sort of rather p- painful and baleful hope that, you know, we were down 20% is going to be literally blown out of the water um, this month.
6: Yeah, do you know what? I don't know why he did it. What a Muppet. I know. You know, he goes on the boat and says, oh, look, nothing to see here. We've managed to solve the problem. Right. Why? Because he knew that that's not the case. He knew that more boats were going to come. And, he, you know, it just exposes him, doesn't it, as an opportunistic fraudster yeah. in many respects. But, you know, the thing is, I, I still don't see any real definitive affirmative action over this. It's all wishy-washy. Well, we'll give a bit of money to France. Well, we're going to speed up application processes. We're going to put people on a barge. We're going to have some, you know, more court cases to make sure a flight through Oanda with one person can take off. But there's nothing that he is offering in his platter of nonsense that is actually going to solve this crisis. Yeah, there really
4: isn't, because with every sort of story you read about the Home Office, I mean, incredibly, they've now managed to double the number of cases they can look at from one to two a week. You know, the backlog's only 170,000. So I don't know how good your maths is, but that sounds like quite a lot of years to sort that lot out.
6: Oh, gosh, yeah, no, exactly. And it's quite terrifying, isn't it? Because that number only grows exponentially and hotels get filled up and the backlog, you know, when backlogs go exponentially, it then sort of compounds the problem even further and the processing time gets less and less. What I don't understand is what have we got written into English law that other countries the other side of the channel do not? Because a vast majority of the so-called asylum seekers who come to this country and try their luck have already been rejected by multiple other states. They haven't been turned. Out, of course. They haven't been deported home in those countries where their applications have failed. They congregate in Cali and think final we'll stop because after that it's the Atlantic Ocean. Let's see if we can get into Britain. And somehow we seem to give 70% of these people asylum when only 5% have got it in continental Europe. So of course there's a pull factor of people thinking, well, do you know what it is last chance saloon? So we may as well make you know make a go of it. But the, the wicked thing about this, of course, is the whole time you hear people saying well you know we can't turn back boats, well you know we've got to listen to each and every case, well you know all these people must qualify for asylum based on these myriad reasons this is the pull factor, this is literally the marketing structure, the profit making system for international criminals for whom human beings are merely cargo. Right,
4: well let's not forget, I mean the international uh, criminals, the human traffickers that you speak of they're rather good at what they do, you know they have a very efficient model, whenever there's a a problem with a particular country, like there was earlier this year with Albania, they just shift to another country. And now there's a lot of people coming from India, there's an awful lot of people coming from the Middle East now, and so the Albanians may not be coming in as many numbers, but don't worry, because the human traffickers are still making the same amount from different people.
6: Yeah, I'm fairly certain they're aided and abetted by certain powers across the channel as well. I mean, I've heard some sort of rumours of this and conjecture from a, one particular Kurdish human trafficker who was interviewed by the BBC, yes. and he We said, look, France, France, kind of help us out because they have their own political problems, and it suits them really to see people who have failed in claiming asylum in France not lingering around, and you know, the the lycée having to figure out what they're going to do about this, but instead find them shuffling over the Channel to Britain. Mm. I've I've maintained all along that what we need to do, and I hate it when people say, well, that's inhumane, oh, poor things, you know, what's going to happen to them, is essentially turn back the boats. I can't see how it's inhumane because they've made it, you know, one half of the channel, making it the other half of the channel in either direction is surely going to carry the same amount of risk. And actually, if you're turning a boat back and escorting it to shore, then if it suddenly capsized, there's people on hand to make sure those people Mm. are rescued. Yes. I certainly would be no advocate that lives should be willfully lost at sea. Whatever their migration status, we're not an inhumane country. But also what we're not is some sort of portal mm. for everybody on planet Earth who doesn't like living in their country to think, fine, I can move to Britain. And frankly, if France isn't tackling this problem, if these people are coming from France, then it is a France originating problem. If they want to turn around and say, well, it's Germany, it's Belgium, it's all these other countries we share border with and then blame, you know, the and a quay with open borders in the EU, fine, France can do that. But as far as we're concerned, we're in Ireland, we're not in the EU, we're not in Schengen. These are people arriving illegally from France. We should send them back. To France, it's very simple. It
4: really is, and I heard the story this morning that the EU is currently drawing up plans to do what they used to do, which is to insist that certain EU member countries take their fair share, as it's as it's put to them, of migrants who come into the wider Western European continent. Uh, and once that starts happening, you know, we will obviously have to opt out and make it very clear that we are not in that deal.
6: Yeah, and what, the thing is though, what the EU always very craftily do is create a sort of push and pull factor themselves, their own form of political blackmail, yeah. which is saying, well, if you want to return people who arrive illegally in the UK and have transited through the EU, then fine, we can get you involved in some sort of scheme where you can just send them back. The only caveat is we then decide who actually does come and live in your country because we're going to all the people we don't know what to do with, we're gonna share them out based upon some sort of spurious calculation of GDP per capita or something, which means Britain would probably end up taking even more in. Um, But what the EU don't seem to be able to recognize, and they're trying to draw up deals with countries like Tunisia and Algeria right now to stop the transit of people from the North African coast to the Mediterranean countries in the EU, what they don't seem to understand is their own inactivity and ineptitude is the very thing powering this evil economy in human lives. They need to get real, they need to get tough. The EU themselves need to be looking at turning back boats, creating a maritime defense system, because actually, quite simply, when people say, oh, let's put people on a flight to Rwanda, that's going to break the human trafficking model. Um, No, actually what will break the human trafficking model is and a boat can't get from A, be. It's very, very simple. And if they suddenly created a sort of maritime force field, if you will, around the continent and said, and it's very difficult policing every ocean, every sea in the world, but if they started intercepting boats and sending them back to Tunisia, to Algeria, very quickly the people traffickers would realise the optics of this would go internationally. Of course there'd be hoo-ha and outrage about it. Very quickly people would realise the boat ain't going to get where I need it to go. And I think it would end things very quickly. And people say, oh, that's inhumane. I think it's more inhumane to allow this to just continue.
4: Absolutely right. Particularly when you see what happened in Greece this week, uh, where there could be a couple of hundred people drown uh, off the coast of uh, of one of the Greek islands. And also, just so you know that the uh, people who are here in hotels uh, up and down the country uh, being looked after, I've got a picture here that's been posted on Twitter from Yorkshire Rose Chatsworth Hotel Skegness picture of some fans being delivered uh, to the illegals because it's a bit hot in the room. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Let's talk a bit about Boris Johnson and uh, the sort of network that is, that is currently running around in Westminster, uh, led by the likes of people like uh, Lord Heseltine, who was on with Jeremy Kyle this morning, talking about Brexit. Because I think a lot of people think if they can kill off Boris Johnson, they can kill off Brexit, or at least they can show that there's a chance that they can reverse it.
6: Yeah, absolutely. And everyone who says no, 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 it just so happens that Boris Johnson is a charlatan and a liar. That was the the the, the reason for his downfall. Please then explain to me how Jacob Rees-Mogg is suddenly on the back benches. How Pretty Patel and Dominic Raab have been outed as bullies. How you know Boris Johnson is facing this ridiculous penalty with people essentially calling for him to be put on in stocks on College Green and have things pelted at him. His pension right. taken away, whatever it may be. You know, no punishment is big enough for someone who was any part of the Brexit campaign campaign. I can't imagine that it just so happens that people who believe in their country's sovereignty and want to change the direction of travel when it comes to policy inside our government are somehow all imbued with the same ill discipline and, and, you know, that, that that is, uh, you know, singled out when it comes to anybody in the Brexit debate. We're the liars, we're the terrible people, look at us, aren't we all reprehensible characters? I mean, they don't really do a very good job of covering up their conspiracy or coup, do they? When you, when you just look at all the coincidence going on. Yes, yeah,
4: so it's very barely um, disguised, isn't it?
6: Exactly, and the way that they all jump up because they all has got nothing to do with Brexit and then they're like, yay, Brexit's dead, hoo-hoo-ha-ha. Ha. You know, it's, it. But, but what I hate... I hate, and I've been watching all the coverage on this, and all the people lining up, you know, all the ne'er do wells who tried to overturn democracy in this country, suddenly saying that they're the bastions of representing the people and upholding standards in Parliament. So I'm like, yeah, right. For the four years that you basically, you know, destroyed our democracy in the, uh, and overturned the try to overturn the will of the people, um, it. It just, it, I, I just can't believe that we're in this situation. What this is going to happen is it's going to make people in Britain think that there is no chance whatsoever of them ever being truly represented, that government does what it wants, doesn't matter if there's a plebiscite doesn't matter if you voted for a party based upon a charismatic leader doesn't matter that you voted for a party based upon a particular manifesto because three prime ministers and five chancellors later that's gone um and i just think it's utterly horrific what has happened to politics in this country when it's all parlour games it's all coups it's all faction fighting and nothing is about actually running the country in the best interests Mm. of the country
4: no it is absolutely unbelievably bad and dreadful and So don't see it getting any better until there's another election. Alex good to talk to you thank you very much indeed Alex Phillips former MEP uh, now with the Reform Party and appearing tonight uh, with me on Plank of the Week from 7pm. This is Talk TV we'll take some calls Uh, we're going to talk uh, later on in the in the hour to Ruth Warrender, who's got an amazing podcast out a true crime podcast we spoke to her last week we'll talk to her again this week there's a couple of big crime stories to get our teeth into as well this is Talk TV. (laughs) Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. If you love Talk Radio, why not join the debate on your smart speaker uh, to link your Alexa and Talk Radio accounts? Just say, Alexa, ask News Broadcasting to log me in and we'll send a link to your Alexa app. You only need to do it once and you'll be able to continue listening to all your favourite presenters, including me. It's a bit self-serving, isn't it? I didn't write this, by the way. Uh, Julia Hartley Brewer and Ian Collins. Do it now. Uh, And that's, of course, uh, Talk Radio linking up with your smart speaker and Alexa. Um, How about this from Paul in Fife? Mike, if our security services learned of a terrorist plot to send an atom bomb across the channel from France by putting it on a rubber dinghy, do you think this rubber dinghy would ever reach these shores Will we simply wait for it to arrive? Or would every means possible be used to detect it and deal with it? Well, it's a good question. I don't think it would arrive, would it? I think they would actually decide perhaps that might be a bit too dangerous. But this is the trouble, isn't it, at the moment? The will simply isn't there. Let's talk to to Ruth Warrender, columnist at The Sun, host of the Murder in Granite City podcast. We we spoke to Ruth this time last week and we got uh, an introduction to a fascinating podcast that she's got out there at the moment uh, involving the story of Dr Brenda Page. Uh, Episode three is out now. Uh, It's called Jekyll and Hyde. And let's find out what it's all about. Ruth, a very good uh, morning to you. Welcome back.
3: Hi there, good morning. Thank you so much for having me back. Not
4: at all. Well, we we enjoyed the story so much last week. We thought, what can we do uh, to get into the next bit of it? So this is the story of a a woman, Dr Brenda Page, who appeared to live a double life, who was a victim of a horrific murder, um, and a story which, which, as you came from that granite city, you found fascinating.
3: Absolutely. So episode three is out today, as you said. Um, And first of all, I just want to say how blown away we are Um, With the response, um, only two episodes went up on Friday. And, you know, within days, we were number two on the Apple True Crime podcast. Super. uh, Charts. So it was amazing. You're doing better than Harry and Meghan then. (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) And then we were number 23rd most liked in the whole of the UK as well. So literally blown away. So everyone keep listening and keep rating and sharing uh, because it really is a fascinating case. Yes, Uh, Yes.
4: So tell us about episode three.
3: So episode three um so really I delve into obviously with the help of Brenda's family and friends work colleagues and those closest to the police investigation I really delve into um one of the the theories that was surrounding her death over this mm. 40 years where nobody had been held accountable and this is her complicated love life um I think I said last week that days after her murder police did reveal uh, that she had a second job as an escort Mm. and that really shocked everyone it kind of tainted the police investigation I would say well at least tainted people's views on Brenda um but what other people may not know is that she was newly divorced Mm. um she you know she maybe used it as a way to get into dating onto the dating scene it was definitely not um you know what you would associate you know that it wasn't It was definitely much more innocent at the time. It was the oil boom in, you know, the oil boom in the Granite City in Aberdeen. Uh, There was lots of businessmen that just wanted, you know, a company to go out for dinner. It really wasn't any of that kind of hanky-panky kind of, you know, what we associate with it today. Um, But anyway, her ex-husband did have, you know, he was uh, creating a lot of uh, difficulty for her. Um, She was said to be terrified of him. Um, she actually even carried out, took out an interdict out against him. Mm. Um, but even though, you know, even though she was, she accused him of stalking to her friends and family, who definitely tell me about the abuse that she actually suffered, like from the get go really in their marriage, which is obviously very, very difficult to hear. Mm. Um, but why then was she also, she continued to see him. They had a very complicated relationship Um, So that's what we kind of delve into. And, you know, so at the end of that, because I I find out that she was still, you know, seeing him quite regularly, could it have been the escort work um, that led to, you know, her horrible end? So we just, uh, we look into all those. And as I said last week um, in the podcast, Murder in the Granite City, I look into three theories, um, the most talked about theories into her death. And that was one, her complicated private life, Right. The escort work. Two was that at the time, um, she'd been given a massive government grant. Remember, she was a top, top scientist. She was amazing, flourishing career ahead of her. She was heading up the genetics department at the Aberdeen University. Um, so she was handed this massive, huge grant uh, to look into the safety standards of the North Sea, um, which could have, you know, potentially, it was a business, a billion pound business at the time. Oil was booming, bringing lots and lots of money and you know could that have put her life at risk Mm. we look into that as well and then the third which is going to be heard this week is about her complicated relationship with her husband her ex-husband
4: and there's a chilling Um, uh, chilling quote that, that appears in which she says this if i ever am found dead and it looks like suicide don't believe it
3: yeah absolutely she was just going through hell it seems uh before she was brutally murdered um she really was and and she was even telling strangers um about her fear um her life was at risk that's what she felt and she you know she really did cry for help Mm. um in so many ways and unfortunately you know it's just nothing could stop this person and um so you know it is a very harrowing tale and it's very difficult for her family to relive and to but you know I did say last year, last week, it's bittersweet mm. that that killer is in jail now, but it doesn't ever bring Brenda back. And, you know, there was a change of law in 2018, which also recognises up in Scotland, um, it's the Domestic Abuse Act uh, 2018, it recognises uh, not just physical abuse, but also coercive controlling mm. behaviour. So we also look into that as well, um, and what part that had to play in convicting a yeah. killer.
4: And in the, the process of, of researching all of this, are there still people around that, that knew her, that were close to her?
3: Absolutely. Um, and people, even up to two weeks ago, <laughs> that I managed to get in touch with. Mm. Um, uh, you know, and that was after we'd recorded the bulk of the, the, the episode. So we've been frantically trying to get these people included because obviously people weren't very... The people that are still alive and did know Brenda, some of them were quite scared to even speak to us because you know her killer had still not been held accountable um so following the case there have been a few people that we have been able to get to and we're just so thankful that they have um and you know even you know we speak to people even police officers that were first on the scene like it's that kind of you know someone that actually identified her body you know we, we really get so close to the case and Um, As I say again, we're just so grateful that our family are also um, right behind us over the last couple, over the last week I've had lovely messages of support from them and um, we're just so glad to tell her story Um, and we just want everyone to tune in and remember to rate and share it. Um, And it's worth noting again that, you know, I did do this investigation in
5: 2018
3: Mm. and the original case was closed after two years which was obviously devastating for her family In 2018 when i actually contacted her family um they had heard nothing i mean and this was despite the cold case reopening in 2015 i think they'd given statements again or something but they'd heard nothing since then so this was just a desperate plea and for for to shed new light on the case and a desperate plea plea to encourage anyone to come forward to the police again with any new information And it was on the the morning that the third episode was about to drop that police actually went to make their first arrest in 42 years. So to be on that journey with them, you know, the phone calls with them, you know, somebody's been arrested, that person's been charged, it is just, and then obviously as well, speaking to them after the conviction, it's just, it's been quite surreal in the way it's all unraveled.
4: Yes, I mean it's it's true crime is is, is really a thing now. A lot of a lot of people fascinated by it. A lot of people watch documentaries on it. We'll listen to podcasts on it as well. And we've got a couple of cases just this week. Of of some horrific true crime. Colin Pitchfork yesterday, a double killer of two 15-year-old girls who were brutally raped as well, um, unbelievably is apparently going to be recommended for parole, having been recommended for parole once before, having been released into the community and then having to be recalled because of his behaviour, because it was not uh, thought to be uh, um, encouraging, because he basically went back to doing what he did before. He started walking around talking to young women, hanging around outside of schools. I find it amazing that the parole board would even think about recommending that he come out again.
3: Yeah, of course, you know, people get locked up, put in jail, and of course the main aim is to get them rehabilitated at the end of the day into public life. But do people really change? I, I did read up about that. It was it just spoke last night, didn't it? And yeah. you know, um at the end of the day, if he's going back in I think it was he was out for two months. Yep. And you know, there were reports of him uh, you know, approaching young women just outside his bail hostel, I think it was. You know, that is just, it's just so desperate and so awful. It's just going back to his way straight away. And it just shows that it's probably ingrained in his character. But I did read that the parole board, they did find the um, recalled custody flawed and not supported by evidence. But for, you know, there must have been complaints against him. Um, yeah. And I know there was a big public eye cry as well at the time. Um, so I just, I don't know, does a leopard change his spots? I, yes. I, 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 you know, I think, and, I think we, the, we would all yeah. say,
4: wouldn't we, that there are certain crimes and certain criminals who the, the, the parole laws should not really apply to?
3: Absolutely. And I think uh, since then, actually, since the 2021 um, release, which was very short lived, obviously, um, the government did announce that there were going to be proposed changes to the poll system. And that did include ministers having the right to, um, you know, block the release of certain uh, prisoners for certain crimes. Yeah, I think uh, so. So I just find it unbelievable. And again, it's just her family. I think it was, I read somewhere that um, a friend of her, one of the girl's mothers um, had spoken out just saying, I'm not quoting, but you know, it's just devastating. Mm. It's just bringing it all back again. Uh, to know that he 's going to be out there, uh, you know he he 's in his sixties, he might live for another thirty years for all we know, and you know it's just that it's just that worry that he 's going to strike again,
4: yeah, it really is a worry, and the other um story, real life crime, I suppose related today is about Levi Belfield, the serial killer, uh, who has won a battle to get married in prison. This is another one that a lot of people yes, think yes. you know should not be really going on. I mean, maybe you 'd like to throw a little reception at a nearby hotel. Uh, for it as well, but I mean, it is. It does seem that sometimes the justice system is strange, doesn't it?
3: It does. It's it's as if it's just becoming a bit of a joke, isn't it? It's they're getting all of these rights, and uh, you know, at the end of it. You know, where's the justice really when you know they're still being able to get married and you know just all the other things that are allowed to do these days? And it, you know, the fa- it must be devastating for the families mm. and. I just think it's just being taken a bit too far. It is.
4: Human rights are for people who are human, basically, not for people who kill humans, I think. That's another story. Well, that's Um, that's
3: just monstrous, isn't it? It really
4: is, totally. Ruth, tell us again where we can get the podcast, the next episode.
3: So there's seven episodes of the podcast. One will be released every Friday. Um, episode 3 is out today, please tune in Spotify, Apple or whatever you get your podcast apps.
4: Great stuff, Ruth, thank you very much indeed. Ruth Warrender there, columnist at The Sun and host of the Murder in Granite City podcast which is a great listen, uh, if you haven't done it yet, uh, you can go and find it at all the normal podcast outlets and it's a wireless production of course, as well. Uh, This is Talk TV. We've got much more to do. We're going to take more of your calls uh, coming up in the final hour of the show. TV Kev is going to be here. Kevin O'Sullivan, he's going to run the line over some big stories that we've had this week. Also, uh, we'll talk to him about his shows coming up this weekend. He's got some big ones of those. And also, Hugh Andre's going to join us as well because uh, he's got some things to say ahead of Veterans Week because it's time, I think, we started helping veterans in this country uh, and stopped helping illegal migrants. This is Talk TV.
1: On your mobile, on your wavelength, Talk Radio and Talk TV.
4: Good afternoon and welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Grave right here on Talk TV. This is, of course, the place to be uh, for the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Plank of the Week is coming up tonight at 7pm. Uh, we'll play a little clip from that uh, coming up very, very shortly. Uh, in this hour, we're going to take more of your calls. We're going to find out what's going on uh, in the world of the veteran uh, because Veterans Week is coming up. Armed Forces Week is coming up very shortly as well. And we'll speak to Army veteran and CEO of Force Select, um, Hugh Andre, who's going to be telling us some of the events that are going on and some of the things. That uh, the government could be doing uh, for veterans, some of the things that they might want to do for veterans, and some of the things that are going on uh, being sponsored from the private sector, of course, as well. Also, David Bannerman joins us, chairman of the Conservative Democratic Organization, uh, and a supporter of Boris Johnson. He'll have plenty to say, I'm sure, about the ordure that has been poured all over the former Prime Minister. As I said to Jeremy Carl this morning, apart from anything else, he is a former Prime Minister. And all of these people who are having a massive go at him and saying, Oh, he's a liar, he's a liar, you know, as if it's some kind of playground politics nonsense uh, is ludicrous. The idea that they're going to all reconvene on Monday and vote on whether Boris should be banned from the parliamentary estate. I mean, what a load of old rubbish and what a waste of everybody's time and what a waste of taxpayers' money, quite frankly. I really think they should be doing things that are a bit more important to the good of the country uh, than trying to skewer Boris Johnson and stop him from ever appearing and darkening their doors again. Let's talk to Kevin O'Sullivan, uh, Talk TV presenter, of course. He's got some big shows this weekend, one tonight, two over the weekend, Saturday and Sunday. Kevin, very good afternoon to you. Hello Mike. I mean, I don't know whether you're like me, but I I find this whole business of, you know, the victimization of Boris Johnson Not only rather unpleasant to watch, but I just think it's totally unnecessary um, and and really over the top. And clearly the people who hate Boris Johnson, like Lord Heseltine, who appeared on Jeremy Kyle's show, you know, like Chris Bryant, you know, like uh, Jonathan. um, uh, Sorry. um, What's his name? Gork, who used to be the attorney general. All these people that are doing the rounds going on and on about how what a dreadful man he is and how he should never be allowed to serve public office again. You know, get over yourselves.
0: I think uh, politicians should be very careful about climbing onto their uh, moral high horse to uh, denounce other politicians as liars. The whole process of politics is essentially lying. You can't have three or four different politicians from different parties saying, this is the truth. No, this is the truth. No, this is the truth. Mm. They can't all be telling the truth. Uh, This is a, a, a saga of horror about Boris Johnson allegedly uh, misleading the House. Hmm. Well, What about what politicians do to the people on a daily basis? They mislead us. By the very process of politics, they are misleading the people. They do it all the time. But all they care about is not the 60, 70 million people uh, who live in this country. They care about the 650 pompous people in the House of Westminster. It's ridiculous.
4: Well, Claire Fox made a very good point in uh, in her social media Twitter account last night, where she asked the question, it's all very well going on about Boris Johnson misleading Parliament. What about all those other ministers who misled Parliament during the Covid days uh, when we were told all sorts of stuff that turned out to be complete and other rubbish?
0: Exactly. I mean, you, you know, no, the politicians are careful. But essentially, the process of politics is about taking some facts and then twisting them to your own advantage. That's a form of lying. It's what politics is. Right. Uh, it really is. The truth, twisting <laughs> the nailed So these idiots saying, he misled the house, he lied. I mean, first of all, I don't care about their stupid little rules. I don't care about Westminster regulations. That's their club. I'm not in it, nor are nearly everyone in this country. Mm. They, They are lost in their own pathetic Pompous little world. And this is a political campaign uh, to humiliate and destroy someone they don't like, Boris Johnson, because he uh, is popular. He knows how to appeal to people and other politicians who don't know that. They hate that. They absolutely hate that. Now, as you keep stressing, Mike, you and me, we're just trying to say this is the former prime minister. He did some damn good things. He's got some very good qualities. We are the last people on Earth who are saying he's perfect. We're the last people to say. He's faultless. He is full of faults. And by the way, you know, I hated his lockdown policies. I hate his green claptrap. I have loads of things I want to take issue with Boris Johnson about. Uh, I don't think he was a very good Tory prime minister. He's not much of a conservative, but he doesn't deserve this fate. This is uh, viciousness, ruthlessness, uh, political machinations, uh, a a game of cards in uh, Westminster's... Insular Palace, they can all go and do
4: one, frankly. Yes, Yes. I'm I'm pleased she said that. I thought it was going to go the other way in a minute. Now, uh, (laughs) let's talk about, you know, talking of looking down on people, ITV, when um, uh, we watched Carolyn McCall. Uh, The CEO talking about uh, uh, how they didn't know anything and they tried to ask a lot of questions about what they didn't know about, but they still didn't find anything out no matter how many questions they asked. Um, She was put on the spot about this phrase tower block Traces," that supposedly is the uh, the the phrase that they use inside of ITV to describe their sort of daytime audience. She denied that she'd ever heard the phrase. John Nicholson, the (laughs) MP, wouldn't let her away with it. But apparently loads of viewers have said that they're now going to switch off as a result.
0: Well, you know, the thing is, uh, you know, uh, old Dame Caroline and Kevin Largo, the head of ITV, they reeled back in horror. Whoa! no, we would never do. No, no. Perish the <laughs> thought. Yeah, rubbish. Anyone in journalism knows that story is true. Yeah. Uh, and I actually don't particularly decry this morning stuff or cleverly and carefully identifying their audience. Uh, That's what this is about. It's a bit contemptuous of the people they think are watching, but I'm afraid that's what journalists do. That's why John Nicholson, a journalist, uh, told a story that rings incredibly true with every journalist in the country. So thank you for your denials, uh, Dame Caroline, but I'm not buying it.
4: Yeah, I mean, John Nicholson gets the Holier-than-now award. Somebody said to me on the day that he appeared... This is the only way he's ever going to get on TV again uh, because uh, he's he's been sort of dumped by various different organisations and and he really has it in uh, for an awful lot of people, does Nicholson. And I mean, he knows that mostly people outside of the bubble of media, which is a different bubble from Westminster, know these stories are true, but most of the rest of the people in the country don't care.
0: Yeah, they wouldn't really care, but I, I mean I can imagine that some of the audience of this morning think will be thinking well if that's the way they talk about us, I'm not going to watch right. this program anymore. but I thought John Nicholson I mean he is a bit uh, pompous to say the least, but he proved uh, he was the only journalist on the culture media yeah. sport Committee, and he proved it. He's the only one who did research. He's the only one that came up with a really interesting question. He looked into it and he nailed them uh so that was a journalist yeah i thought the uh, whole thing was uh, colors i
4: thought the whole thing was a bit uncomfortable for itv uh oh, but I, God, presume, yeah, and I presume i presume really this will bad. this will not be the end of it will it
0: well really bad i mean if you examine what dame caroline the chief executive and what kevin ligo said it's full of contradictions you know uh we did launch an investigation but uh, that investigation proved that we didn't need to investigate eh? a <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about not much uh, of an
4: investigation so- then
0: Yeah. And and by the way, I'm sure that ITV shareholders are absolutely thrilled to learn that they are now paying for Philip Schofield's uh, counselling, multi-millionaire Philip Schofield's counselling after the trauma uh, he suffered lying through his teeth about his appropriate relationship (laughs) with a young Male colleague. I mean, ITV are paying for his counselling. He's yeah. a multi-millionaire. I, he lied yeah. to you. What's going on it here? It is.
4: I mean, let's just start a new series called Hypocrisy Tower, um, yeah. and you know, it could be the best soap opera of all time. It's starring Holly Willoughby, Philip Schofield, Carolyn McCall, Kevin Ligo, maybe a, maybe a sort of a cameo role for John Nicholson.
0: Yeah, it is like watching a slow-motion car crash. Feels <laughs> so slightly sorry for them, but not that much. Now,
4: now before we go any further, I must play you this, because I've been waiting to do this uh, for the last uh, for the last couple of hours, and I thought this was the moment uh, that you will want to see. Let's have a look.
6: You were, you were late.
5: Mm-hmm.
6: He kept texting when he was late. He's like, I'm in traffic, I'm so sorry, I'm in traffic, I'm so sorry. I
4: was panicking, I was freaking
1: out. I was so sweating.
3: Again, I didn't know him. So I was like, oh, is is this what he does? Got it. Like, this I'm not doing. I'm not going to sit. <laughs>
0: what
4: was that supposed to mean?
3: Like, like one of the guys who's so much of an ego that you're not going to, that you don't, that any girl would sit around and wait for a half hour for you. And I was just not interested in that.
0: And then when I walked in, I he was a hot, so sweaty, sweet. red ball of mess. She's she he, like, oh, that's,
4: like, not, no, that's not, no, that's
3: like, not what you I'm are. so you genuinely sorry.
6: genuinely like so embarrassed
3: and late.
4: Isn't that sweet? Yeah. Luckily, luckily she remembered just. Luckily, luckily she remembered just at the last minute before he got there, and she was about to leave. That well, he is actually an heir to the throne of Great Britain, and maybe I can make a bucket load of money off him.
0: Yes, uh, but uh, it looks as if she won't be making as much money as she'd hoped. <laughs> no, she's been bumped by Spotify. Her uh, podcast series, uh, strangely called Archetypes. I'm not sure she ever quite understood what archetypes mean. No about empowering women or something dreary like that and uh uh basically it's not has isn't making any money uh spotify who are experiencing uh, financial difficulties they're laying off staff right now saying it's difficult to monetize many podcasts uh they're also saying well we had a 20 million dollar deal with you and Harry and you didn't deliver enough so we're not paying you that mm. so uh, what I uh, call me cynical, but when they announced a couple of weeks ago, we're not going to be uh, talking to you anymore. We've said all we have to say. I think they must have already known that Spotify was about to dump them. Yeah. So well, my- I think that's
4: exactly what happened. I mean, yeah. same thing will go down in Netflix. I mean, because for these two to come out and go, now, do you know what? We haven't really got anything else to say. Oh, really? You know, that's a coincidence. Isn't it yes. funny that Spotify two weeks later say, actually, we're not going to renew the uh, first series?
0: Yes, it's Harry and Meghan realising or learning that when you sign a contract for $20 million, you actually have to do something to justify that payment, that money. Uh, And Spotify, Spotify I'm sure they'll pay them something. She did produce this one series. Mm. They don't want to do any more, but they are saying you two just did not do enough to warrant us paying you the full 20 million. So uh, a bad day for Meghan and Harry. What a shame.
4: Yeah, it really is. Very unfortunate. Tell us a bit about what you've got coming up tonight's show, possibly followed by Saturday and Sunday.
0: Uh, cheers, Mike. Well, I'm looking forward to Plank a Week uh, as always at 7 p.m. on Talk uh, TV. Then it's Nadine Doris. Then it's the Royal Tea. But the big news is 9:30. It's what <laughs> just happened. Uh, my program. Uh, so that's on at 9:30 tonight at uh, on, on Talk TV. Please tune in. It's just half an hour of messing about, really. A couple of serious points, but uh, we're we're just having a laugh, as you know. And uh, over the weekend, uh, I'm doing Weekend Drive, 4 to 7 p.m. on Saturday on talk tv at four to seven p.m on sunday right here on talk tv
4: well do you know um, i wonder if this weekend will be any busier than last weekend where it sort of all started on friday morning with the dean dorries who's also on tonight at eight giving her a version of events from the uh, standards and privileges committee um and, and it all sort of hell broke loose boris johnson resigns she resigns boris johnson resigns uh the other bloke resigns uh, who i keep forgetting his name um and it, and it just sort of went from bad to worse for everybody
0: well, yeah, it was Nigel Adams, wasn't it? And yeah. then uh, on, on the Sunday, I mean, you, you'll know this bit of in-house talk really, though. but there's nothing more thrilling when you've got a nice three-hour show all set out, all the guests in line ready to deliver <laughs> your immaculate programme five minutes before we went on air on Sunday. It's revealed that Nicola Sturgeon is sitting in a place cell being interrogated over missing <laughs> funds uh, so we had to rejig the show pretty speedily
4: <laughs> yeah well I mean it can't be busier than that surely but you'll cope I'm sure if it, if never it does know, happen mate. you never know you, you, you can never tempt fate Kevin thanks very much indeed Kevin O'Sullivan Talk TV presenter tonight 9.30 uh, following on uh, from Plank of the Week and the Dean, of course as well uh, and then the Royal Tea Kevin's on with what just happened and then Saturday at 4 Sunday at 4 you won't want to miss it there's an awful lot going on here at Talk TV this is the place to be